It's uh, been an exciting weekend for me and Lexi. We celebrated Sydney's birthday yesterday with a bunch of family at our house and uh, almost caught my kitchen on fire. Um, thankfully, I didn't do that. We had to move our grilling efforts indoors uh, when my grill decided to go out yesterday for the first time in about three years. And so thankfully, it didn't burn down my house and uh, we're here. So, But uh, one of the things in life that is rather confusing to me and really sad is how quickly some people who claim to know, who claim to believe in Christ, fall away. Um, there's a, a number of people in my life that I've seen uh, do, do that, go through that, you know, people that for all practical purposes, I thought that they were believers, I thought that they loved the Lord, but later you see, over time, they did not. They had just kind of gotten caught up in the busyness of, of church, I guess, I, I don't know. But the, one of the most sad examples of this and, and that I am aware of, somebody personally that I know, and I'm, I've changed his name here, because just for privacy's sake, but... I don't know anybody named Axel, so I decided we're going to call him Axel. That's a pretty cool name. But uh, so, so Axel was in my youth group with me, and he actually then came on staff a couple of years later to serve on the youth ministry team at my dad's church, the church I grew up in. And, uh, you know, Axel was one of those dudes who was like on fire for God. And it was crazy. Less than three years later... You know, somebody who just was, you you thought they were just electric with like, man, they love the Lord, they want to serve Him, they want to preach the gospel, all that stuff. Less than three years later, not only was he not serving on staff at our church, he wasn't a part of any church, he wasn't walking with Jesus, wasn't even claiming to to walk with Jesus, and sadly, he ended up choosing a profession, um, I'm trying to figure out a way to say this that's most PC, he manages a club where people wear less than full clothing. Um, and that's what he does for the last 10 to 15 years. That is his life now. This is somebody who, in 2002, was like, we were having to like talk him off the edge. He wanted to like leave right then and there and take the gospel to Yemen, which if you know anything about Yemen, that's like one of the most dangerous places on the planet for Christians to go and share the truth of of God's word. I mean, we're talking about a guy who went from that to less than three years later pursuing that other career. And with things like that, you know, I mean, not only, like I said, it's it's not only is he not just exhibiting the same fruit and, and not just the lack of it, but now fruit in a totally different direction. Like, this guy is completely, completely lost, completely fallen away from the Lord. How does that happen? You know, why does somebody go through something like that? How how does that happen? You know, the text we're going to get into today. This is a this is a hard text, and I'm going to save getting into that for for a little bit later. But I think what we see here is that it's possible for somebody to be here today, 
and that be their story. Not the exact thing, you know, I'm not even saying that, that you have to choose that profession, but it's possible for one of us to five, maybe even three, maybe even a year or two from now, completely be alienated from the Lord, not walking with him, not caring, just turned over to a, to a wicked, depraved heart. Without God's grace, what the scriptures teach us is that we could wake up and find ourselves in this place without faith, without a relationship with God, because our sinful fallen hearts left up to themselves are not prone, they are not inclined to seek God, they are not on their own seeking after God. They don't want to have anything to do with Him. And so it's not natural, like if we don't do something about it, that drift is possible. And I think the way that I would say this most carefully is, 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 is that not everybody who professes or says that they believe in Christ actually possesses real faith, to, to, to be really careful. But thankfully, what God plans and what he intends for us as a church is that we can help one another ensure that we don't have a story like that. That we can be, for one another, a group that loves one another, that is there for one another to process through things, to work through our, our, our sin and our lack of faith so that we don't have a story that ends like that. The question is, how do we help one another avoid having this faithless heart so that we can experience what God wants for us, what he has for us, and what truly, if we knew what was best, we would want for ourselves. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through uh, chapter 4, verse 2. So if you have a Bible, turn with me there, uh, Hebrews 3, verse 12. And as you're turning there, I want to quickly tell you what's going on in this book, in, in Hebrews. So the writer of Hebrews, which... We don't know who that is. There's been arguments about that. Some people say Luke. Some people say Paul. Some people throw out other options. My favorite answer, I was talking to a, a guy who was cutting my hair one time over by the seminary, and he asked me, who do you think wrote the book of Hebrews? I was like, I don't know. He was like, well, one time Dr. Pentecost was in here, and if, if you're familiar with DTS, you know who that is. Knows more about the Bible than probably 10 other scholars combined. He lived to be like 100 or so. Um, he said his answer to the author of Hebrews was, well, if he didn't put his name on it, I don't care. You know, <laughs> that was his response. But so the author of Hebrews, he's writing this, this, this letter to encourage Jewish Christians who are in danger of reverting back to Judaism, who are in danger of saying, you know what, Christ is not the Messiah. He is not the only way to God. He is not the promised Savior and Deliverer. And in our text today, what he's doing is he's warning these folks of the dangers of giving up their faith. What he's saying is, you can't just renounce Christ and think that everything's okay. It is not like that. He is the Messiah. He is the prophet, the last prophet who has come to reveal truth, and, to, and he is the way to God. And so that is dangerous to do. And we'll see what, what he's talking about as we look at the text today. But... As we, as we walk through this, I believe we will, we will find out the answer to how we can help one another avoid having a faithless heart so that we don't miss out on what God 
wants for us, what he desires for us. But I want to pray together before we read this, and then we'll stand and, and read it. So let's pray. Father, the, this morning I, I just feel such a burden because this text is, is, a, is a heavy one. It's, it's a difficult one. And so I'm asking for your blessing, for clarity as we walk through this together. I pray that you would be with my mind, you would be with my tongue, that you would direct them, that you would use them to, to provide clarity to us as a group, that you would, by your spirit, direct this time so that we would come to have greater faith, so that we would come to know who you are more clearly. I just ask that, that this time today we would hear from you, that we would be with you, that you would use this to speak truth and encouragement to our hearts. We need you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and read this, this passage together. So this is Hebrews 3, verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. All right, you can take a seat. So I just want to say some really clear statements before I get into this text because I, don't, I think there's a, a potential for misunderstanding, miscommunication. You cannot lose your salvation, okay? Everybody got that? You cannot lose your salvation. If God has regenerated your heart, replaced your heart of stone with a heart of flesh, if you have been born again by a work of the Spirit, that is something that is lasting. It is true. It is permanent. Okay? I want everybody to know that. Now, at the same time, we hear these weird verses, like in Philippians 2. I want to pull it up so I don't botch it. Like in Philippians 2, it says, Therefore, my beloved, this is in verse 12, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? So we can't lose our salvation. And what we also know is that our salvation isn't by works. But we see in this passage, in this Philippians passage, we're called to work it out with fear and trembling, and in this Hebrews passage, that we're supposed to fear lest any of us should have seemed to fail to reach it. So, while we can't lose it, what I think this passage is saying, in a nutshell, this kind of blows a little bit of the, uh, whatever, kind of suspense, is that there, like I said before, there are people who inhabit groups where Christ is worshipped, 
who do not have genuine faith in him. They are near the people of God, but as time will show, they do not endure in their faith because their faith was not ever real. They never had genuine heart change, spirit regenerated, heart of stone removed, heart of flesh given, conversion. And so what I think he's getting at here is there is a danger of thinking that it's impossible to be that person. And, and so we're going to walk through this. It's a, it's a, it's, it is a delicate text, and I hope that as we kind of walk through it, we'll, we'll be able to, 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 to work through the, the little nuances of this. But first thing he says in verse 12 is, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, take care means that we are to be intentionally monitoring our hearts. We're to intentionally look at them, to be careful of what we find in them so that we don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, the interesting thing is that he addresses this group as a community. He says, take care, brothers, which is plural, and then lest there be in any of you, in the Greek, that's also plural. So he's saying, this taking care, this intentional monitoring of our hearts is something that we do together as a community, as a congregation, as a group. That's what he, what he is, is calling them to do. So we are to examine ourselves and see if in our hearts we have hearts of faith, hearts that desire to know God, hearts that desire to walk with him and obey him, or if we have the opposite of that an evil, unbelieving heart that has no desire to repent of sin, no desire to know God, all we really are interested in is appearances and kind of going along with the flow. Because that, 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 it's possible for that to be the, be the case. But then he moves on and he says, he gives the reason why it's so important that we do this intentional monitoring of our hearts together as a group. Look at the second half of verse 12. He says, Lest, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, And here's the consequence. Leading you to fall away from the living God. Leading you to fall away from the living God. So if we don't intentionally monitor our hearts together, there is a possibility that there could be individuals within a group of believers, within this group, this congregation, in any place, that could have an unchecked, evil, unbelieving heart that leads them to fall away from the living God. That is what happened to this guy, Axel, that I know. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know why he had all these appearances of real faith. But from what I see a decade later, is this is a guy who got caught up in the fun and the craziness and kind of the joy that it is to be a part of church life, but had never been a genuine convert, had never really come to know the Lord personally. And what I think happened was there was sin in his life that when he removed himself from the church, that evil, unbelieving heart that was there no longer had any influence. He was no longer in a community where the gospel was being preached, where the love of Christ was being displayed, and he was, he was in contact with that. And over time, his heart just grew harder and colder to where he was completely not even interested in the things of God. And it revealed that his heart was not really changed. So the first way that we can help avoid having this faithless heart and missing out on what God has for us is by simply 
staying together as a group and continually checking the condition of our hearts. Continually checking the condition of our hearts. That's the way that we prevent something like this from happening. Because we're all broken sinners who need one another to help us remember the truths of the gospel, the truths of scripture, and we need to be shown these things, we need to experience them, so that any time we do have little issues of unbelief or sin, we're able to address those, to be able to repent of those. And somebody who's a real believer, that's what will happen. You might have seasons or areas of your life where you're struggling, but in general, what God is able to do in you because he's given you a new heart is he's given, given you the ability to actually want to pursue him and to want to leave behind the things that are keeping you from him. And so we can help avoid something like that happening in our lives by continually checking the condition of our hearts in community. Look at verse 13. He says, instead of, you know, take care so that there's not this evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. And then in verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he tells us to exhort one another. Exhort is not a word anybody uses in their everyday life. Or if you do, awesome. Like, I need to borrow some of your vocabulary. But exhort is a, is a word that all that means is encourage. We, we just use the word encourage. So when he says to exhort one another every day, he says encourage one another every day. But what are we called to encourage one another to do? Go outside and run five miles? You know, quit eating candy? Like, what, what's the thing? He says in here, in the context, what I believe, in light of verse 12, is that we are to encourage one another to believe. We're encourage one another to have faith, to walk in obedience to God. The context is warning of the danger of unbelief, and it's warning of the danger of disobedience, which flows from that unbelief. We'll get into that in just a little bit. And so what I believe he's saying here is, encourage one another to believe, to have faith in God, to trust him. The more I live, the more I walk with the Lord, the more convinced I am that there are two basic things, two basic truths that I need to understand and I really need to embrace on a daily basis that I have a really hard time truly believing and embracing. And those are this. First of all is that God is really, truly God as he has revealed himself. And secondly, that he is good. That he is truly God, that I'm not God, that he really is the one who is running all things and I don't know better than him, and that he is good. He's sovereign and he's loving. He is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. And my guess is that you're probably not all that different from me. It's hard to really embrace these things. And I'm not talking about in some mental ascent, like check off the box on the paper thing. I'm talking about when it comes down to it, when he's calling you to repent of sin, when he's calling you to have faith and to do things that are scary and beyond what you feel you can do, it's hard to really embrace, okay, you really are God, you really are in control, you really are good, you will not abandon me, you will not forsake me, and so I will trust you and I will walk in obedience. I think that's why he tells, tells us here in verse 13 to encourage one another every day. Because it's so hard for us to embrace that as a fun, foundational truth and something that we actually build our lives upon. So we need to encourage one another to really embrace these simple truths that God is in control, that he loves us, that he's good, 
and that will enable us to walk in obedience. When we forget those things, it's really hard to obey God. So what happens if we don't encourage one another daily? If we don't do this, in verse 13, he says, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when we don't encourage one another to believe God, when we don't encourage one another to walk in obedience, we could fall victim to sin and its empty promises, its enticement. I mean, think about that's from the, from the garden, we've seen that that's what Satan does, that's what sin does, is it tries to, believe, to convince us that what God says is not true and that there is life found somewhere else. And so when we don't encourage one another daily and we don't remind one another of the truth of the gospel and of God's word, we are more susceptible to fall into these enticements and deceitment, deceit of, of sin and temptation. It's interesting because it says here that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, which makes me think of the idea that there's a spiritual battle, there is a battle waging for my soul and for your soul. That Satan, even though if I am a believer and if I am secure in Christ, Satan still would love to do nothing more than to try to pull me away from God, try to isolate me from the church, and try to, try to attack, attack me. He cannot have my heart, but he will try to get, get me in other, any other ways. But for those of us who are not saved, who do not have genuine faith in Christ, there is a genuine battle that could go either way for somebody's soul. And so, left alone, away from the community of faith, we could be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that's what happened with my friend, with Axel. He was hardened by the deceitfulness of sin over time to where his heart just completely shriveled up, closed up, had no desire to ever hear anything from God anymore. But we can help one another avoid this happening. And I think what we see in verse 13 is that the way to do that is by constantly exhorting one another to have faith in God. By encouraging one another every day to actually believe God and to walk in obedience to Him. To not just have some sort of head knowledge, but to actually live our lives in light of the truth that God has revealed to us. That's what we're called to encourage one another to do. So my question for you today, I want want you to, everybody, just focus for a second. I want you to ask yourself these two questions. And it's okay what the answers are, but it's important to ask them. Who are you encouraging, who are you exhorting to have faith in God, to walk in obedience to God on a daily basis? Who in your life are you intentionally making it a point to encourage them in their relationship with the Lord? Think about that. Maybe write that down. Think about that this week. Secondly, who is exhorting you to have faith in God? Who is in your life that is constantly, daily encouraging you to trust God and to walk in obedience to Him? Do you have people who are your tribe, who are your clan, who are your group, who are in the fight with you? Because we all need that. We all need somebody who's got our back, and we all need to have somebody else's back. That's what this text is talking about. Is part of the way that this works itself out is it, is it happens in community. 
The way John Piper, I was reading some of the stuff that he had on this, he put it this way. He said, eternal security is a community project or a communal congregational project. And I don't think what he's saying that is like, oh, without the church, this can't happen. But he's saying God's ordained way of making sure that believers endure in our faith is by relying and walking together. It's just part of the way that that it works itself out. So who do you have that's in your corner exhorting you, and who are you exhorting? We can help one another if we will constantly exhort, constantly encourage one another to have faith in God. Okay, in verse 13, at the beginning of it, he says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. It's kind of an interesting little phrase. Jump down with me to verse 15, where he, in verse 15, this is a quote from Psalm 95, 7 and 8, which he actually, up in verses 7 through 11, he quotes the second half of that psalm. But he says in verse 15, As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then in verses 16, he unpacks what he's talking about. He says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Okay, To the Hebrews, this all made a lot of sense and he didn't have to give a whole ton of context because they were really familiar with the Old Testament. It was their ancestors' story. They would sit around the equivalent of the living room and tell this stuff from generation to generation. Those of us who are real versed in the Bible, we know what he's referring to, but there are probably some of us that maybe we're a little rusty or we don't know what he's talking about. Let Let me briefly tell you a recap of what he's referring to. This Psalm 95 is a kind of commentary on the event that happened in Numbers 13 and 14 at Kadesh Barnea, or Barnea, however you want to pronounce that. So what happened there, in a nutshell, God has brought Israel, he's delivered them from Egypt, Moses and Aaron have led them out, he's part of the Red Sea, they're, they're now out of slavery, And God has commanded them to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and to take out the people who dwell there. He is giving them this land. He has promised them blessing of rest in this land, a land flowing of milk and honey. And what happens is they get onto the edge, they're right outside the land, and they start to get scared. So they send in some spies to go check it out. Not an entirely stupid idea, but it reveals that their their fear And the spies come back, and they basically say, the guys over there are huge. And if we go in there, we're going to die. And so the rest of the people get all stirred up, and they get real scared. And then what happens is that passage that uh, Stephanie, there you are, Stephanie read for us this morning, they basically start to cry, and they're like, God must have brought us out here to kill us. And so then Moses has to intercede for them. Because God is very angry with them because they, because of their lack of belief, will not obey God and go into this land. They will not go in and take out these people as God is telling them to do because they are afraid of them. And so it says here in in verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. 
That's a very short summary of what happened. God, at first, he was ready to wipe them out and start over with a new people. But Moses convinces God not to do that, and so instead, what he does is he takes all the people who were of the age that should have fought, that should have been soldiers, 20 and up, and that entire generation will wander in the wilderness for 40 years and they will die. They will not enter the promised land. But their children, who were not part of that generation, who were, who were disobedient, who were unfaithful, will be able to enter. And so he brings this up because what he is saying is when God reveals something to us and calls us to obey that truth, there is a consequence when we do not believe that and we are disobedient to it. And what he's doing is he's using this, this history lesson of Israel to say, this is what's going to happen if you guys do not believe the truth that is revealed in the person of Christ and in his life. And, and if you reject the gospel, you guys are going to face the consequence of not being able to enter God's rest. And so that's why he jumps into verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us be concerned if there are some of us here who do not believe the gospel, who do not accept Christ as Messiah and Savior. And then in verse 2, For good news came to us just as it came to them. So they were told that this land is yours. I want to give it to you. You are being promised rest from, through Christ. You are being promised salvation in Christ so that you can spend forever with God. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So he's telling them, today if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Because he's like, listen, you may think that you have an endless opportunity to make this decision about Christ. But you don't know how long you have. You don't know if you could die. You don't know if Christ could come back. And there's no guarantee on tomorrow. So what is the re proper response to Christ? What is the proper way to respond to the gospel? It is in faith and obedience. It is accepting the truth that Christ has shared and obeying that by believing that. And so healthy fear is completely appropriate in light of the reality that it is possible to miss out on the promised rest, salvation in Christ, if it is not received by faith. So here's what I want us to walk away with today. Hearing the truth of the gospel is not enough. Being a part of a church that preaches the gospel is not enough. Being somebody who gives money to a place, a church, that preaches the gospel is not enough. The only thing that makes it possible for us to experience rest from trying to work our way to God this side of eternity and experience ultimate rest with being in God's presence and being with all the saints of all generations for eternity is what you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether or not you admit that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness and that the only way that that's possible is through Christ's shed blood on the cross in your place, through his death, through his resurrection, it's coming to a place where you respond to that in faith and you affirm that. So it doesn't matter 
what your parents believe. It doesn't matter what your friends believe. It doesn't matter what the people sitting on the pew with you believe. When it comes to the end of your life, when each one of us faces, comes face to face with the Lord, what we have done with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we have either accepted him as Lord and Savior, as God the Son, or not, that is what determines where we stand. And that alone. But we don't have to miss out on this. We are in a place where God, by his grace, has blessed us with access to the gospel. We get to gather here every single week and sing about it and hear about it. And we get to gather throughout the week, especially during the school year when we meet for men's and women's ministries, where we unite around the gospel. My plea for you today is do not just be somebody who hears it. Be somebody who believes it. Because according to the Bible, not just in Hebrews, but all throughout, it is a matter of life and death. And I don't get real somber like this a whole lot, but I really want you guys to please hear me today. So the takeaway here is that we are to cautiously fear the risk of failing to enter God's rest. For those of us who are sure that we trust Christ and we know that he is who he says he is and we believe the gospel, we don't need to be afraid because we can rest in the fact that we're covered by the blood of the Son. It's people that are out here wondering, is Jesus really who he says he is? I mean, is this really true? That is the proper place to question and wonder, do I have faith that is real? And to just keep processing it and to process it here in community and to be honest about it and you don't have to be afraid, it's okay, but don't just sit there in that place wondering, I don't know what to do with Jesus and just be quiet about it because what we see here is if you reserve from the body and you don't have a a, a sense of holy fear about the fact that what God has revealed in Christ is serious, serious truth, it's possible for you to be somebody who falls away. We can arrive at the end of life with a faith that is intact, that will bring us into the eternal rest of God, because for those of us who have believed, that is a sure thing. Our faith, our salvation is secure. But we need one another, and we're called to check our hearts. We're called to encourage one another, and we're called to help others who may be on the fence with Jesus. We're called to help them fear the risk of failing to enter God's rest if they don't respond in faith. God has given us one another to help one another process and to respond to the gospel as truth, as ultimate reality. Not just something that's way over here, just one small thing, but as the most essential thing you can know. And that's what I believe this text is getting at, is we all will come face to face with the Lord. And the only way we will stand, the only way we will spend eternity with God instead of separated from God is based on what we do with the truth that he has revealed in his word and through his son, that Jesus is the son, that he is the only way. There is no other name by which we can be saved. Let's pray.